I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to another episode of Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. My name is Joe Haddo, and I'll be the ringmaster for the upcoming War of the Words, which will no doubt ensue between two writers a little later on. Thanks to everyone who's been kind enough to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's really so nice to read them, and I do regularly, repetitively. If you listen via the podcast app on your iPhone and you can spare a few seconds, then we'd love for you to leave us a review as well, please. Preferably a good one, but we're open to all. So then, to today's business. And today I'm joined by two fabulous writers who are going to be telling us about their books, their writing, and what they've enjoyed reading recently. My first guest is a former bookseller, bibliotherapist, and the author of the acclaimed story collection Escape Roots. Here to tell us about her debut novel, Common Ground, it's Naomi Ishiguro. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. I Welcome love that to Book Off. You're very thanks. kind. Um, <laughs> you've heard it twice because I realised halfway through <laughs> the first take that I had not pressed record. So um, I'll get your thoughts on the second take very shortly. Uh, and my second guest is a filmmaker and a poet who is a quarter of four brown girls who write a poetry collective formed in London. Here to tell us about their new collection is Sheena Patel. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so come on then, you heard it, you heard, well, you heard sort of half of it twice. Was the first one better, you know, the more sort of natural launching into it, or was the second one, uh, you know, more sort of, um, professional. I'd... I was impressed. <laughs> God, I was I was impressed by the first one. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, so was I. I really wish I'd press record. It I know. I really wish you'd press record. It was much better. You know, it always is. It's great to have you both here. So thank you for joining us, and we're looking forward to finding out what books you'll be championing a little later on in our book off. But I, I want to talk about your latest books that I mentioned in the intro. And Naomi, I'm talking about Common Ground here, which is um, your debut novel. So congratulations on getting this published. Um, so it's a it's a sort of quite, quite heartwarming coming of age story, I suppose. I've seen it sort of... Um, it's been pitched as that. Could you just set the scene of the novel for us and tell us a little bit about Stan and about Charlie? 
Yeah, so it's set in um, a fictional Surrey town that I invented. It's called Newford, but sort of loosely based on, on Guildford, I'd say. Um, and it's about two boys growing up in the in the noughties, in the early noughties, um, and they're from very different backgrounds. So um, Stan is 13 and he is, um, he's the kind of kid from the suburbs and he is struggling with bullies at school. He's the new scholarship kid at a private school. And Charlie, um, who he becomes friends with, um, is Romany and he lives on the traveller site on the outskirts of the town. And they meet one afternoon in the autumn when Stan's bike breaks and Charlie stops to help him fix it. And their friendship kind of um, carries on from there. And um, the first part of the book kind of looks at their friendship as children. And then um, in the second part, we follow them into adulthood when they're both trying to make it in the kind of savage world of uh, 2010s London. And the world is offering them very different sets of opportunities. And I kind of look at the stresses and strains that that can place on a friendship and also how friendship can help overcome those challenges. I could be wrong, but I have a feeling that that all three of us have sort of experienced 2010s London, haven't we? (laughs) We've lived it, guys, yeah? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm Gen Z. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I remember... If, if you conjure up London between 2010 and 2020, 90, you know, I know exactly, you know, what we're talking about here. I know that I know the place. I know how I was feeling in my 20s during that time. I know what I was going through. What was was there a particular spark for the story? Naomi, was there something that like was the, the germ of the whole idea? So there were lots of things that were just kind of happening in a kind of congruent way. Um, I think we're talking about 2010s London. I've always been slightly obsessed with 2012 because I feel like something something sort of peaked in 2012. That was just sort of my perception with the Olympics and the sense of the celebration of multicultural London and, and multicultural Britain. And then something kind of went a bit weird after 2012. It was almost like we'd been preparing for the Olympics and then that was over. So we could just, and that's obviously I'm being facetious. That isn't exactly what happened um, in my brain as well. I keep sort of thinking, oh, 2012 was kind of recently. And then I think I I realized that it it sort of wasn't. So I I sort of wanted to, to write about the shift, like when we were at the sort of peak of a certain way of seeing ourselves as a country and then sort of looking back on that and and how there were lots of kind of quite sinister undercurrents already kind of coming into the public discourse around that time that we weren't necessarily, that I wasn't necessarily that alert to that sort of, I guess, sort of really made themselves felt in 2016 with the Leave campaigns around the referendum. Um, but also I was thinking a lot about public space. I, I used to um, love going to open mics. I used to live in Bath. Um, where there's a great busking scene. It's like a whole world. And I used to sing at all of the open mics around the city and a lot of the buskers came to the open mics as well. And um, becoming friends with them, I had a lot of interesting conversations. This was in really early days, like 20, this was like well, well before I started writing the book, but a lot of interesting conversations about public space and the sense of um, who has a sense that they're allowed to occupy space and, and sort of what spaces are public and what you're allowed to do in certain spaces. And um, that got me sort of thinking about so sort of who, what kind of characters would, would really sort of suffer from the lack of public space in Britain the most. And I started becoming interested in the Romany community and sort of writing about that. Um, so that was another sort of slightly, yeah, bizarre way into those themes via yeah. singing. Um, so that's sort of how it came to be, really. It's interesting you, you mentioned the 2012 and, and specifically the Olympics. I don't know about 
you, Sheena, I don't know about you, Naomi, but if I think of that time, which was, which was, I was in London, I was living in London, I worked uh, on the broadcast side of the Olympics, so it was having a great time. I met my now wife then in 2012, so like, it's a very good year for me, a very good memory, but I just think the, the mood of the nation uh, in 2012 cut to as you said Naomi 2016 feel so like they can't possibly be connected to me because I think of how happy I was in 2012 how much they feel they felt like a sort of sense of community not just in London but across the country and then like you say I just I'm like how could how could we be here four years later um the kind of eulogizing over 2012 might might in itself be a type of nostalgia even a recent kind of nostalgia that i think is dangerous i think nostalgia as a concept is dangerous and um it makes things i don't know, it divorces things from reality and i think what is here now is has always been here and it's it's clearer now everyone can see it now it's harder to hide it from people from like from mainstream society, it's harder to hide the racism and the sexism and the misogyny. Um, and I think that's why, because if you think about Sarah Everard, black and brown women have always known that the police don't respect their bodies and respect what happens to them, always known it. And it just feels like, to put it very in, very broad, in a very broad way, but it just feels like white women have caught up. And I think 2012, that's the, that's a kind of like Blairite dream of where we would be, you know, celebrate, I love the NHS, like celebrate the NHS and multiculturalism and blah, blah, blah. But there's this undercurrent of empire, this undercurrent of darkness in this country that we've never reckoned with. So I think what we're dealing with now is, is actually the sickness and is the darker forces that work upon this country and the people in it. And, and in, to that then was... 2016 the not the beginning obviously but like was was there was that whole brexit thing the the unplugging of something that then... but it, it goes so much far deeper than that because it goes into like globalism and capitalism and the fact that politicians gave power to the banks and then that meant that all of the factories closed up north and that led to deep deep um mistrust and betrayal in the north and that's why they they the bitterness has festered because they were you know lifelong labor and then felt abandoned by labor labor went to the right and and that's where this has all come from that's what i think it's, it's not as recent as 2012 2016 you could almost go back to the 70s uh, enron 2001 2008 you know you've got to go back to 1999 it's it it's so it's seeded so far back into our into our past it goes back to the 50s where this country is mourning the loss of its empire and has been mourning since it ended and doesn't know who it is without it and and i think it's like your super ego versus your id and i think that's where we are mm. that's re i mean we could <laughs> we could probably talk on this couldn't we with <laughs> three of us for another few hours I suppose I want to talk about your poetry collection in a moment, Sheena, but just while we're on this point, because one thing I did 
feel from your book Naomi is that the you know it is a story about friendship but there is there is you know very much a theme of uh, you know or certainly what I felt from reading it there's like that you're trying to say something about discrimination and and specifically discrimination in the UK and I I suppose that you wanted me as a reader to get that from it right Oh, definitely. It's it's kind of, it's very much about, when I was talking about 2012 earlier, I was being kind of facetious thinking it was a celebratory time. I think I was just thinking about that being a big thing in the public discourse and a sort of how we wanted to be seen. And I think there was a slight abandoning of that. But yeah, like the book is very much about that, that tension as well. Like 2012 was when the hostile environment policy started. And I, I the whole second part is kind of about looking at structural racism that was sort of around at that time in juxtaposition to this weird the olympics everything is is sort of open and and how it how you sort of think that is sort of who we want to be but then when you look around yourself can can we recognize that country and our interactions and and the sort of things like is it just an image that we're projecting um so i definitely wanted it to be a book about that um very much and sort of about how yeah how hard it is for minorities to find a sense of belonging when when Britain is the way it is in many ways or um yeah so and and just yeah how, how friendship as a as a sort of opposing impulse and force to discrimination and racism and also about solidarity I think I was sort of thinking that's such an important principle and we don't necessarily talk about it um that much um and uh, yeah um I sort of uh, yeah I was trying to make it a sort of yeah a story of solidarity and friendship I think that's like really pertinent right now. I don't know, it feels like there's definitely a push towards, especially in the pandemic, like the importance of your friendships and how they're not like these second rate relationships next to romantic relationships. I think I think it's definitely the time for like romance to be put back into friendships for sure, because they are like a site of solidarity and belonging and they're often very radical. Mm. Yeah, and how we get through all sorts of things, yeah. And talking of of a friendship group, <laughs> he says in a radio know, voice, neatly segueing, slightly slightly bridges what we're talking it's a about. Great segue. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's not my first rodeo. Um, <laughs> Sheila, you're part of this poetry collective that I mentioned called Four Brown Girls Who Write. Tell us a little about this collective. How did you all meet? Where did you get together? What's going on here? Um, well, we we're the, there's four of us. There's me, Rosh, Sharon, and and Sun. And uh, me, Sharon, and Rosh went to uni together. And um, that's we kind of lost touch with each other. And we we lost touch with each other. My best friend moved onto a boat on the Thames, and I hijacked it. So I went to bring all my friends together and I was like we should definitely read to each other because this feels like um this feels like something we should do because I've seen you all throw up and be drunk but I've never heard you read out loud so there was about 20 of us that came onto this boat and Rosh and Sharon came and a friend brought Sana and we all read to each other and we all got like drunk and it was a really gorgeous evening and then the four of us were together and I was like oh we should definitely stay together we should we need to stay together in some way because it, their voices were just so amazing and it just felt really, I don't know, felt a, sen a sense of belonging and recognition and like a home, like home feeling with them, which I hadn't really felt before properly with women that looked like me. 
you know, even though we're not even from the same places, but we're all from London and all want to write. And we were like, well, no one wants to hear us. That publishing was just such a distant dream. Um, so we were like, fine, we'll just write for each other. And that's how we started. And then it turned out publishing wasn't such a distant dream <laughs> because you've now had, well, what you've had a collection published in 2018, was it? Yeah, that, that one we did sort of semi ourselves because um, there was Femzine, was, they're, this, they're this zine. They contacted us, and I think it's through Sunner actually. Um, they, we performed at what, their launch and then they wanted to do a book with us. And we were like, a book? You, you what? And, um, but then we did it. Like I, des I designed the cover. My best mate, whose boat it was, did all the graphics. Like she did all the typesetting. And then Femzine pushed it, but it was only supposed to be like a hundred. And then we pushed. We were like, oh, we'll just do like a two hundred run, like book run. Um, but it's still selling. I don't know how much it's selling, but it's still selling. And then I just pestered Nina because I was like, we've got this book, and I I found Rough Trade Books on Instagram, and I was like, oh, I'll just ask them if they'll put it in the shop. And then that's how I met Nina, is because Nina was like, oh no, we're not anything to do with the shop. I'm I'm my own thing. And then that's how Rough Trade Books came into our lives. And they recently uh, published your collected offering of, of solo work. So could you just tell us about these four pamphlets, which are, are such a beautiful collection, by the way? So the four of us have got pamphlets. The, the, the other three have written poetry, but I've written prose. So mine's like an essay. So I've not written poetry. Um, but the but Sunna, Rosh and Shaz have. What made you want to do prose? Um, well, it was, I was writing it in a time where it wasn't very poetic and poetry had abandoned me. Um, so I was like, okay, I think I need to write sentences. Um, but it ended up being, for me, the better decision. I've written, like, poetry since, like, from, in courses, like, you know, in classes through lockdown and stuff. So it's come back, but it definitely disappeared. I was like, that just... I was so sad. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't even muster up the energy to write a poem. So I was like, "Okay, I have to. I have to just write a sentence and hope this works out." <laughs> and is is that? Do you think um, a sort of gen, a, a combination of many things, but a build up of many things as well to that point that just meant I can't. You know, I just can't find the words or the rhythms or whatever it was. Well, it was. It just felt like. What what I've written about is like a year. It's like a memoir, but it's not um, because it's about the year before. So it's it's just based around a year, and it's like um, fragments. So it, and it goes between um, like personal, like deeply personal things, to looking at Britain as a whole, um, and politics, and race, and. Um, so it swings between all of these things, very centred around the body, which I didn't even mean for that to happen, but it is. And um, it just came out like that. It was, Nina was like, you've got to, she was like, you can do whatever you want. You'll have space by yourselves. We were going to do a book all to, like, this, like the same way we did our first book, where we all stitched together. But then Sana was like, no, we need to have the space to be ourselves and, and grow and take this responsibility and take up the space, which was the best decision that, and that's the great thing about the four of us is that everyone's always looking out for each other. So you end up 
like if Sana had never said that, I never would have done it. And we end up just making the best possible decision as a group, but then you end up doing that for each other. So it becomes this really amazing space where you've got like four of the best, four sides of your best brain working, firing on all cylinders at the same time. And anytime like that part of you that's like, no, you can't do it. You've got one of them going, yes, you can. <laughs> it's so, I mean, it's just so lovely to hear it. It's such a, a great story and what, and, and what a brilliant thing to have come from that night on the boat because as Naomi knows, you know, as an author, it's a very, um, can be very solitary and, you know, there's sure you, there's your agent, isn't there? There's your editor, but you're, you don't have those three other mates who know you really well and who could give you possibly, you know, the harshest of criticisms and really, and, and, and it'd be okay. You know, you've got to sort of fend for yourself. <laughs> yeah. I'm listening to this thinking it sounds wonderful. You've got it sorted because <laughs> I love writing, but the solitary aspect of it can be quite difficult, I think. And it's definitely something I struggle with. And yeah, that sense of like validation, like your work feeling real when you're working on it on your own. You just think, what am I doing? I'm just tinkering in a room by myself. Like, what what even is this? There's no context for it. There's no like audience until it goes to a publisher and like, that's too huge. So yeah, it's it sounds like you, I don't know, this yeah, <laughs> sounds like exactly the right way to write. It sounds wonderful. The great, we've, we've had people like, oh, we do these little performances and we've had um, young women, come, young women coming over to us and being like, how do we do this? How do you do it? But it's like, there's there's no real trick. It's like you just ask your mates who write, you know what I mean? Like you just start, start up a WhatsApp group. That's what we did. That's how this happened. Um, it's like, it's there. Like you can have it, the community. Like we, we're so mm. dumb. We're like, we don't do it because there's four of us, but it's just the pandemic takes a toll on your brain. And we were like, we should just do a Zoom call and like submit a poem and workshop it. And you're like, oh my God, you can forget that you've got that immediate feedback from like, people that you really respect it's 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 a gift i'm really lucky to have it to be fair i'm on a on a whatsapp group. i mean i'm on many whatsapp groups aren't we all <laughs> far too many some of them some of them i think i don't even know what that means anymore do you know what i mean <laughs> Get but i am on a, a one of the many friend whatsapp groups i'm on is with some very old friends and they are old. all right you've got friends god <laughs> from uh, my my hometown and they recently very organically actually sheena started writing hundred word stories and it was just one of our friends tom just sort of said oh i've been setting myself a challenge to write a hundred word story a day just because it because i'm in lockdown and blah 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 i need something creative and he posted one on this whatsapp group and now most days one of us if not more is is choosing a new word and then writing 100 words about it and some of them are funny some of them are dark some of them are obviously very personal as in like they are basically you know um autobiographical and but it, you know it just made oh, me I think thought, i thought that was about to go somewhere different there no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> I was like, where are you going <laughs> some of them are very that personal, that personal. <laughs> um but it nice. just made me think you love to do that yeah you you know you, but it's sort of what in a way, I mean, we didn't get to go on a boat and drink wine, but we might have done had we not been in <laughs> lockdown. But then if we hadn't been in lockdown, might not have started. You probably wouldn't be doing it. It's finding those other ways to connect, isn't it? Yeah. Especially around something like that, like a book. You know, it's just, it's like another access. It's an access to someone that you know really well, but that you would never, never really explore with that person. You know, you could be just really surprised by people that you know really well. 
And I think sometimes these creative things with your mates can can often do that. I, lo I love to ask my guests on this podcast what they've been reading recently, um, which could be something new or old or an author that you've discovered or whatever it is. It's also been interesting, certainly in the first part of last year, 2020, um, speaking to, to authors who said, and I was the same, you know, who couldn't read for a while. Um, a bit like you're saying, Sheena, you know, the poetry wasn't coming and thank goodness, you know, it's back for you. But there was there was a point where I couldn't pick up a book and actually it was non-fiction that, that, that triggered me back into being able to read fiction. Um, for, I guess my question for both of you, and I'll start with you, Naomi, is, is did you find that last year or have you found that recently? And also the question, what have you been reading and enjoying recently? Yeah, it's interesting. Just to start with, I had a question for you, Sheena. Were you writing it? Were you writing your piece in in lockdown? Was that um, when you like started it, or was it before? Well, we started it before because it was supposed to come out in April, and we were going to get all this funding. We were like this close to getting a lot of money um, through the Arts Council, so it was supposed to come out in April, and then everything shut down. So it it, it felt like it wasn't going to come out. So we ended up. But then we decided to kick it all up again. But it was like such a monumental effort to do it because it just was just so hard mm. to think about doing stuff like that. So we ended up working on it over lockdown and then it came out. Yeah. yeah. So I had about like two, three months where I was working on it. I'm actually, well, I'm grateful for COVID, but never would have had that time otherwise to work mm. on it and really reconfigured it. Um, and yeah. And then it came out in October. Yeah, did you work did you work yours did you work on yours no, I was editing it a bit um but I have found it I, I found it quite easy to to read books have been a really good escape for me but I haven't really been able to write new things I can write short stories but I've been trying to write a, a book another book and it's it's been like impossible um so it's quite interesting to hear from writers about how people are, are finding it um yeah and yeah incredible to create a whole piece of work really or like to get it off the ground and happening in in lockdown i i quite yeah. i don't we we did it. it once we it was out and we were looking at it it's like the most beautiful thing this year i was like how did we do that last year like how did we do that because i could not even imagine having the energy to do that now i don't even know how we did it um but there's a lot of writers that are struggling with writing fiction like just because there's no stimulus yeah, I think I'm very much someone that needs to go out and, and sort of see things for, for writing. But sorry, your question, Joe, was about reading, not writing. You carry on, this is, this I'm is fascinating. I'm just obsessed with, with writing in lockdown and how. Um, yeah, reading. Um, what have I been reading? I think there's lots of things that I think will make me smile. So I think I have heard from a lot of people that nonfiction is something that they're turning to, um, like like what you were saying. Um, and I had that a little bit. I've had that at other points in my life where you think, oh, it's just not a time for fiction right now. Um, but actually, I found it to be a really nice escape. I, I teach children um, some of the time, and I've been reading quite a lot of children's books. I love uh, Catherine Rundle, um, the oh, writer. Brilliant. Isn't she wonderful? Yeah, yeah, her books just really um, just make me happy. And I love, ch I I? love children's books. I love children's books. I love YA. Oh, yeah. Um, but perfect for this time. Perfect. Absolutely. And you sort of know there's that parental control that nothing too terrible is going to happen. Like your main characters aren't going to suddenly die savagely. There isn't going to be a pandemic. Like it just doesn't get that awful because, you you know, you want to protect children and keep them in that, that bubble to a certain extent. So when you want to sort of like keep yourself in a bit of a bubble as an adult, it can be quite nice to turn back to children's books. What about you, Sheen? Have you been, have you found yourself reading? 
Um, no, I, I think the same as you. I found it really hard to pick up a book, um, and non-fiction was really the only thing I could cope with. So I read um, Rough Trade Books put out a book by Chile Gonzalez called Enya, which is marvellous. Not by Enya, by Chile Gonzalez. <laughs> That's a very about, different Yeah, <laughs> that'll be a different book. But it's about Enya and about taste and music and stuff like that, and it's really great. It's just very accessible, and it was like one of the few things I could read last year. And then... Um, I read like Olivia Lane, is that how you say her name? Um, Funny Weather. Um, yeah, so I stuck to nonfiction, but then I read, so I think it was after Trump got, like, after the American election, I felt like I could read again. <laughs> and <laughs> it was so weird. Um, and then I read Such a Fun Age, which is just so much fun. I read that at exactly the same time, I think. So <laughs> how weird, but yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, oh, I was like, <clears throat> like reading the book. I was like, this is so great that a book can make you do that. I was like, oh my god, I can't wait for the next chapter. <laughs> and that's just—I mean, that that book has actually been featured on this very podcast, on this series recently. It was in—it was one of the book off choices for some previous oh. guests, and I'd read it um, when it was long listed for the Booker, so a year or so ago. And oh, it's just brilliant, isn't it? Oh, just so wanna... good. What a page turner, but also yeah. clever, but not too, not too in depth. It's sort of still like commercial. I don't know. It just t- ticks so many boxes. I love that. My favourite line is when um, I, don't, I can't remember her name, but like the the woman, and she's in bed, and she's like, "There's like five African Americans coming to my to my dinner party," and you're like, "Oh, she's like she's such a good person," and you're like, oh. <laughs> "It's my." But the, you, you're right, because one, one of the things we discussed on the book off when we're talking about this book was the cringe factor of some of it, where you're just like, like oh, oh, my God, like turning the page thinking, I don't know if I want to see what's on the other side of the page if it's going to carry on like I this. Just, but, it's really yeah. clever, really clever. I think it's good that it, in that cringe factor as well, like it is awful, but you do, yeah, you, you still sort of simultaneously want to like collapse in on yourself which is like oh god stop but then it is it is kind of funny like we're laughing and I think when you laugh when you laugh at it and you laugh at people it kind of it has a different response to to sort of critiquing it in a more like say academic or um yeah like social commentary as well you just literally see it for what it is and just burst out laughing and you just see how ridiculous it is I think that's something that book does does really well also um, there's like no bad guy as well because like the the, the, the boy she's d- dating and the woman she works for she gets she's caught between these two people but kind of like not vi- not victimized in it but yeah. both of their blindness they're both equally bad in different ways <laughs> like when that awful scene where they like meet up and have an argument about her and you're just like god stop both of you <laughs> yeah. i mean she yeah. and i just both put our head in our hands I just, I just, just said that that. Moment, you know, which, which sort of tells you that oh, sort it's of... so embarrassing <laughs> the reaction but well worth a read well worth read um such a fun age by kylie reed and of course lots of children's books i would prescribe them to anyone at the moment oh 100 mm. planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's time now for the book off, and this is where each of my guests is going to get three minutes to tell us about a book that they love. And they think we should all read. I'm very, you, you look quite scared, both of you. Don't be scared. I am. Um, <laughs> I'm quite scared. <laughs> I always say that it's impossible to choose a favourite book. I would I would never be able to do it. I hate that question. So mm. I, for the book off, always say a book that you think that we should all read. Because I think that's sort of, a, it, it, it does open it up, but it also makes you think about it a bit differently, perhaps the choice that you're going to put forward so we need to work out who goes first <laughs> back to on school a game with show. Joe on a game show. <laughs> and i'll tell you what it's like it's like being back at school where the teacher tries to be cool by teaching the lesson has a yeah sort of game that's show. it we got a, we don't we got a cool test <laughs> It's oh, Mr. Fun. Haddo did a quiz. It's fun. <laughs> um, now, before we uh, find out which, which books you're putting forward, we need to decide who goes first and who goes second. And we also need to decide uh, who is going to be honked out at the time and rung out by the school bell. So, Sheena, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I don't mind. That's not helpful. It's not helpful. Naomi, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? <laughs> I also don't mind, but if we need a decision, I'll go second. Well, someone's going to make a decision. I don't mind. I don't mind. <laughs> All right. You're going first. Okay, Sheena. Which means, uh, Naomi, you get to decide if at the three minute mark you get honked out or you get rung out by the school bell. Could I get the school bell, please? Absolutely, you can. Thank you. Um, before we start the three minutes on the clock, and remember, Sheena, you don't have to use your three minutes. It's fine not to, but at the stroke of that three-minute mark, I will be honking you out uh, and cutting you down. Um, what book <laughs> are you? For, it does a bit, doesn't it? It's not really. I mean, I think, when you I hear it, you'll realise. All of the people I know, all of the it's... people I know, are going to want that honk for me. <laughs> <laughs> what? Just in life? Just in life? Just like shush. <laughs> um, before we start the timer, uh, tell us which book you're putting forward, Sheena. I am, um, I'm going to put forward Minor Feelings, A Reckoning on Race and the Asian Condition by Kathy Park Hong. All right. Well, three minutes are on the clock. We're not going to say a thing. It's over to you to tell us all about it. Um, so I've chosen this book because I, uh, it's, it does the same thing as, well, I mean, it does it so much better than me, but it weaves its way through 
personal memoir, academic paper, and it's got this very journalistic rigour to it. And I think it's a book for now, for right this minute. And um, I think the experience of reading it, especially well, personally to me, was a bit like being dragged by the hair or watching a car crash. And uh, I was almost like, I felt nauseous. And I was like, well, this is kind of an amazing thing for a book to be doing. And I think not enough books do it to make you feel a bit sick. Because <laughs> um, I read Kathy Acker's Blood and Guts in high school. And it made me feel, I was like reading it like, oh my God, what is going to happen? But I just think it really, it's a really amazing thing where it's self-aware in its tone and its subject matter. And it's unflinchingly honest with itself. She's unflinchingly honest with herself and and with the with the world, but she explains it quite complex ideas in a very simple, accessible way. Um, and she she like looks at structures almost like an alien would. So she sort of suspends herself above the world and looks down at the world that we've built for ourselves. And she's just like guys like what this is this is everything and she kind of died you feel diagnosed by the end of it and it, and it explains like why maybe we're so paralyzed um and whether the stories we're telling are the ones we choose to tell if the ones that have already been told are market approved or would bring us accolades or fame um so it just really kind of questions this even the framework within which we tell the story in, which is just like mind blowing. Um, and one of the last essays is about friendship and she talks about this very volatile relationship with this woman. And I like that she was kind of a really big, um, I'm losing time, like an influence on her work. And it was just, it's not pastely and nice. It's really volatile and violent and horrible <laughs> and a bit scary. And I just think that that being the influence of creativity um, was also really interesting um, and I just think it's essential because it brings these political things into our intimate spaces and it makes us part of a system um, which we are part of a system but you can kind of forget in, in, in our individuality that we're not connected to each other but that together we create systems and stories and how these things can be challenged that surely is three minutes uh well do you know what it was oh and you get a buzz at the door as well it was um it was just under three minutes you had 10 oh, seconds it? to go yeah oh um so you had you had 10 seconds left but i thought that was expertly done sheena and uh, we'll come back and talk about that book very shortly uh you have a rest for three minutes now though because naomi is up oh, no. before we start stopwatch. your timer naomi <laughs> what book are you putting forward so my book is the book of hopes and it's edited by Catherine rundle Alrighty. Three minutes back on the clock. We'll be quiet. It's over to you to tell us about the Book of Hopes. Cool. So the Book of Hopes is a big old compendium of poetry and stories and illustrations, all written and created by some of the best children's writers and illustrators around. And it was put together as a project by the magnificent children's writer Catherine Rundle, who I talked about earlier. Um, as a response to the pandemic and the tagline on the book is words and pictures to comfort inspire and entertain and I think it kind of does exactly that each piece is written or um, created in the case of illustrations around this theme of hope and what makes us feel hopeful and 
and they all come at the idea of hope in different ways and approach it in in sort of a different in a different at a different angle so the effects um of all these many pieces in this book is this kind of kaleidoscopic effects of all these things that kind of bring bring hope and comfort in different ways um they are so it is primarily aimed at children it is children's writing but i think it's kind of as we were talking before i think it works for any age it's a great thing to rediscover your inner child and remind yourself of a time when everything felt that lots of things felt possible and um you know you lived with a, a sense of wonder um so they're all about 500 words long the written pieces so they're all kind of perfectly bite-sized you can dip in and out and um my personal favorite is a story of unlikely friendship um by the amazing kids writer Anjali Kuraouf it's called the monk and the armadillo about a monk who's meditating on the top of a um a him, like one of the himalayas and he uh, strikes up a very unlikely friendship with a salamander uh, with an armadillo of course that um gets picked up in a storm and carried over from the Sahara Desert um, and it, it's just very charming and sweet and lovely but um, the, everyone I speak to has a different set of favourites and I'm still dipping in and finding pieces I didn't know was there before. Um, so I, as I mentioned earlier, I teach creative writing to children of sort of year five, year six age, and we've spent a whole term on the Book of Hopes doing a different piece each week. And it's just brought so much joy and um, it's really brought us all together over the last term, just teaching over Zoom. And I've seen how the parents as well as the kids have really responded to the project. We've been making our own Book of Hopes. And from what I can hear, people all over the country are doing similar things because um, talking about everyone should read it now. Um, I think it really answers this moment and it is available for free to read on the National Literacy Trust website, along with a lot of good educational resources. So you can, <laughs> I sound like I'm advertising it now, um, but it is, it's an amazing thing. I think it's brought so many people together over these, this last lockdown. And I was just thinking last night after I, I kind of did this lesson, I was thinking, God, that's to have just, I think she had the idea for putting it together just in a field somewhere. I think she was on a walk and to have had that idea and then to have created this thing that brings lots of people together and sort of instills hope in that way. I think it's just incredible. Oh, it's brought it, sort of brought it in just under the wire there, Naomi. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. made it. Um, that's nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you both did very well. Um, and I love the sound of both of those books, two very different books. Um, but Sheena, I got, I found your pitch very powerful. Um, and I've written down here a book for now, it very much sounds like it is. Um, when you said you sort of felt like you'd been <laughs> dragged by the hair, but in a sort of positive way, you're right. And there is something about um, reading literature that, that leaves you feeling like that. And I think there's Sometimes it can leave you feeling like that in a, in a negative way. And sometimes, as you say, you need it. You sort of need books to be able to do that sometimes. Um, I love that it's self-aware in, in its tone. Um, I love that, you know, there's, <laughs> it, it's sort of complex, but puts things, complex issues and ideas, but puts them in a simple way for people like me. I think that sounds absolutely phenomenal. And I, I don't know of the book. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely be checking it out. Um, and Naomi, we talked about children's books briefly earlier, as you said, yeah. and I love them. So this was a good pitch, <laughs> uh, considering I'm deciding. Um, but I just, I think a compendium of children's writing is a big tick anyway. I think the fact that, um, you know, it's, you said it's good to rediscover your, your inner child, and I couldn't agree more, especially at the moment. Um, and anything, any book that's got a meditating, meditating monk in it, 
is all right with me if if if, if you if you want to sell it just say meditating monk um i love that it's brought so much joy to your to your classes to to the parents and i love that it's free what an amazing thing so this is mm. the um, national literacy trust website yeah so you've got the physical i've got you can go buy the physical book i'm holding it here as a little like, oh it's nice beautiful <laughs> um, get me through the three minute pitch um but yeah it is also available for free um it's dedicated to everyone working in hospitals and yeah it was definitely like it's very much a, a sort of a thing for now that um hmm. they created just to try and just inject some hope and positivity into Aww. the world which i think is just so admirable well it is and god we we absolutely need it and what a lovely thing um I I thought they were both, firstly, brilliant pictures. They made me want to read both of them. I'm sure the listeners will agree. Um, but also, so di- they're so different. I very rarely do this. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a draw today. <laughs> oh, excellent. And that I, I got told off for doing this far too many times because I was I couldn't decide and I was being nice to it. But I have to do it for this one because that I cannot call it. They are both obviously um, books for now. We've books said for now. books for We've now. Like yeah. Invented a whole genre. <laughs> that can yeah. be our that can be our own imprint now. Shelving category. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that was the the book of hopes, which is edited by Catherine Rundell, as we said, and minor feelings, a reckoning on race and the Asian condition by Kathy Park hong and common ground by naomi ishiguru is out now from tinder press and four brown girls who write a poetry collection is also out from the brilliant rough trade books sheena naomi what a pleasure to spend this time with you if only it could have been in person but uh, thank you so much for joining us it's been really great thank you yeah, it's been brilliant thank you Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 